0: Hi, this is Brennan Davis from Bedrock Games and the Bedrock Blog, and I'm here with Joel Clark, and we're going to be talking about *The Bride with White Hair*, a 1993 movie directed by Ronnie Yu with action choreography by Philip Kwok, and it stars Leslie Chung and Bridget Lin as star-crossed lovers from different sex who uh, end up as enemies due to a terrible misunderstanding. There's there's a lot more to it than that. Um, it's sort of a it's but it's kind of like a Romeo and Juliet. Uh, in a world of wuxia, is how I would describe it. Uh, and I've seen this movie before. We've talked about it on Wusha Weekend. Uh, uh, this was Joel's first time. So, Joel, what was your reaction to the movie? Well,
1: oh, this movie was a treat, man. I I really enjoyed it. Uh, it's it's not a Shaw Brothers movie. It's it's a kind of a it's a sort of a '90s uh, Wusha movie. And I was alarmed at the the gulf in style between like the kind of '70s stuff we've been watching lately. And this one, which has a much more modern and much uh, very like dynamic uh, uh, element to it, that's like just not not just in the way the story is told, which is a really good pace by the way, but in the way it's uh, in the way it's shot, the cinematography, and the uh, the way they cut, and just everything about it has as a style to it that's really it's really fun and kinetic. Uh, I really enjoyed the characters. I I had this is one of those movies where like. I know It's it's more modern, so it, it bridges a little closer to what I'm used to as far as like watching movies. So it delivered in this really wonderful, smooth way. Some really good characters. It looks really nice. Like I think you, you kind of have to hold your expectations a little with the older movies. Because it's like, yeah. okay, the plot's going to look a little fake because it's in the 1970s. Yeah. But this one, I didn't have any reservations like that. Because it looked like... like The closest analogue my stupid brain drew was with the Mortal Kombat movie. Remember that one? Uh, where it just it looked just breathtakingly good the whole way through
0: the the original uh, Mortal Kombat movie from like oh the 90s? yeah
1: were there other I, ones oh, well God, I don't know I I, I saw sure. that
0: I saw that in the theater when it came out I don't remember Sorry. a whole lot about
1: oh it yeah good. we just
0: <laughs> I w- yeah when when did that well that'll be another topic but but I uh, oh, yeah but, I, topic.
1: but this is the analog that my my mind drew to it because it's it's got Dutch angles which were all over the place in Mortal Kombat. Uh, and it's got that same kind of look to it that Mortal mm-hmm. Kombat had. And there's a lot of uh, there's a there's lot of darkness, there's a lot of night sets and things like that which look really crisp. Yep. The action, there's not as much fighting in this as I thought there was going to be. But when fighting does show up, it's really cool. And also it has really great villains. Yeah. Like, uh, I don't know if we've had a lot of the, uh, what we call the unorthodox sects and the other things we've watched, but they are certainly very, very vividly and visually present in this one. Yeah. So, Really just a great movie uh, Definitely thumbs up High recommendation from me
0: Yeah this I mean this is This has got to be One of my favorites If not A, a candidate To be my favorite film um, It's 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 got For me It's sort of The the, the emotional And visual uh, Style that I want When I see Wuxia uh, And and I just I, I, I love the storyline I love the characters uh, And uh, You know It's based on a On a, on a book Which uh, uh, People People can, can Check out the uh the title of it, which I always forget, so I have to look it up here, is "Bai Fa Juan," but it's um it's a book by Liang Yusheng, and it, it's worth checking out. There's there's English translations available online. Sometimes the the translations can be a little bit dry, so you do have to work through it. But it's useful to kind of have that background information sometimes. But the movie takes such a uh it departs so much from that material. I don't think it's it's essential to to to, to read it to see the movie and. One of the things I like about the movie is how tight it is. It just—it just, it just kind of—it does. It's very efficient storytelling. It doesn't really waste a whole lot of time. The only—the only point it really lingers on is the—the the love scene in the cave. I think that's the only scene where it feels like they're really spending a lot of time on it. Um, but it's probably the scene they, they should be spending the most time on because it's—you know—it's the, the heart of the movie. Um, <laughs>
1: even um, that scene at the point they intercut a lot because it's not just like one scene where they're just sitting there smooching it's that overlaid with like later on whenever she leaves and also whenever he makes this vow and he's like oh if I ever betray you may lightning strike me like so even that one they make sure to keep it snappy they yeah. right. like the, it's one of the, the longest single scenes but even so it's like three scenes when you think about it
0: and uh, I also I like the music the uh, the the, the style of music in, in the movies from this time in Hong Kong they all have that I don't know I would say it's like a it's like synth plus woodwind or something I don't know what the combination of instruments is that gives it that distinct quality but it sounds vaguely reminiscent of like 80s music in America but uh, but but di- but still different and uh and I, I find it always it always kind of helps me to immerse in the film and Leslie Chung who is a a, a Cantonese pop singer uh also uh is the singer at the end that music at the end was performed by leslie chung um and that i believe they repeat that melody that he was singing is the melody that the wolf girl is playing when she plays on the flute i i could be wrong because i didn't i didn't listen to them side by side but i'm pretty sure
1: yeah and i think that uh like i feel almost feel like the gloss over in the movie is that one of the main characters was raised by wolves <laughs> And like it's just a really small, like it, it only comes in in the details sometimes. But yeah, she was raised by wolves. That's awesome.
0: Well, I've 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 definitely seen uh, characters like this uh, more than once in uh in, in in Chinese movies. But um, but yeah, she's raised by wolves, and he's raised by Wu Dang sect. And then she ends up joining the evil cult, which is like, it's, like a, it's a legitimately sort of evil cult. It's, it's led by uh, a brother and sister who, initially, they don't let us know this, but we, we find out that they're conjoined twins. And the brother is in love with the Bridget Lin character, who's the, the wolf girl. And at first, all she has is a surname, which I think is like Lian or something. Uh, but she doesn't really have a name. They just call her wolf girl. But then when she meets uh, the Leslie Chung character, Cho Yi Hong, they uh, he, he gives her a name and he and he ends up naming her Lian Ni Chang and she falls in love with him and he and she both want to leave the martial world and be together they they agree to do that she goes back and undergoes a brutal brutal uh, I don't know what you would call it but like a, a, a ritual a exit from the sect
1: um, yeah it's sort of an exit ceremony and it, it is brutal she's like walking on what, a, what is that broken glass or metal she, or something like that and bare feet and she, uh, oh, oh, go ahead, sorry. oh no
0: I was gonna no, she, she, yeah she walks on broken glass and they beat her with sticks and then they nearly beat her to death and she's not allowed to use any of her martial arts uh, to defend herself and and so that she but you know she gets to the end she collapses then she gets up and asks if she can go they let her leave but the brother is still you know brimming with jealousy and so he, he and his sister disguise themselves as her and they go and slaughter the master of of Yi Ho Chung's sect and uh so they, sorry, they, Cho Yihang they,
1: they they annihilate those four people they
0: well so. they do yeah. and then and then uh and then he doesn't believe her when she says she didn't do it and this leads to a you know battle between wudang and and uh and the uh uh the uh the wolf girl character lian ni chang and um and during the battle she gets impaled by a sword from the hand of a of a girl in wudang who is in love with Cho Han um and that's the Ho Lu Hua character and 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 he's kind of embracing her at that moment and her hair turns white from the you know from presumably the 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 the, the rage over uh over what she perceives to be a portrayal and and then this is when sort of the bride with white hair character comes to fruition in the movie and and then she really slaughters people uh, but yeah, then there's she, another ending. Then there's, after that, they uh, they have a um, uh, a battle with the, the conjoined twins, and the only characters that remain alive at the end are, are uh, Lian Ni Chung and Cho Yi Han. Um, yeah.
1: yeah, and it's kind of good, uh, a wraparound sort of thing, where the, the very opening scene of the movie is, uh, is his character uh, guarding some sort of rose that makes you immortal or heals you or something like that, and then... <laughs> He's guarding it, and he says he's guarding it for her. And this a bunch of people show up, and they're like, "The emperor is sick. He needs that rose." We, we've climbed this whole mountain. Who are you, and what are you doing? And He's like, "Oh, I'm, this is the rose reserve. You so, can't be here."
0: Yeah, that, it's a really, it's a really cool setup. So it's this, it's this, this, this flower that blossoms once every twenty years. And when they arrive, he asks them what, t- what's the date, and they say it's ten years after the founding of the Qing. So we know it's like roughly ten years or so, maybe even twenty after after the uh after the events of um of the of the movie uh because all those movies lead to the formation of the Qing dynasty um and so uh it 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 gives you a really good sense of like you know of 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 just like all the stuff that's coming in the film do you know what I mean like like because they because they because the the whole thing with the general is he's the guy who who uh who is sort of you know betrays uh uh, the Ming Dynasty, and 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 his his actions ultimately lead to the rise of the Qing, and so it's a uh, I don't know it's, it's, it's I think it really works as a as an opening scene, but I like the concept of the flower.
1: Yeah, and and that shows up a lot in a even just in Chinese myth, like the magic peach garden or magic flower, very rare and inaccessible plant that has mystical properties. I'm a big fan of that. Um, not just not just mythologically, but just in general, that's such a great thing. I, I love the the extremely rare resource that people fight over. I, I like that. Uh, but it, it bookends the movie in a really nice, in a really concise way, because they begin there, then they cut back to the events leading up to it, and then the end, once the bride shows up, and everyone's dead but her and her man, she leaves, and he's like, you know what? And he goes and finds that flower specifically to cure her if she ever decides to come and get it. So it's it's a good bookend. It really is. Uh, and like, I don't know, this is one of those movies, it's almost perfect. Uh, it, it's structurally, it's almost perfect. I don't no. even know if, it, it might even be perfect. It is. Be- because, like,
0: oh, go ahead, go like, ahead.
1: <laughs> I, I... I mean, <laughs> we're trying so hard. Yeah.
0: You, you speak and then
1: I will comment. will comment. <laughs> it was really funny. Okay, but it... Structurally, it's it like I said, it's nearly perfect because it's got this really great bookend that feeds directly into the main plot and is caused by the main plot, and the plot itself is just beautifully play, paced throughout the movie. Uh, the the scene we we're talking about, the long love scene, is the emotional core of the movie, and it's exactly where it should be, right in the right right past the midpoint of the movie, like just just barely cresting over to the end. So like I don't know like. Usually, I, I feel really awkward watching wushie movies, because I'm like, I know there's another act here that I'm not picking up on structurally. Mm-hmm. This one, I didn't feel that. This really felt like, like you said, Romeo and Juliet, where we, we establish the stakes really early, and and we get to the emotional core at the exact proper moment, and then there's the, the betrayal afterwards and the resolution. It's got... It's got and I almost want to say that it has both structures because although it has that structure, which is really obvious to me as a Western viewer, in addition to that, every chunk of a Wuxi movie is here. We've got them starting as kids. We've got their star-crossed meeting. Uh, there's a bunch of rival sects. There's, uh, like, the way the villain works. And by the way, best villain I've seen in a long time.
2: Yeah,
1: uh, I love this bad guy so much. But they they show up in a really and they're actually genuinely unnerving and then the way they work is very like a very whoosy villain kind of way to work, where they're they're not just powerful martially, they have all these sort of schemes going on that bear fruition later. So you have this unbelievable and near perfect fusion, maybe and maybe perfect fusion, of like the sort of western story three acts like Romeo and Juliet structure and this this four-ish act whooshi movie. In addition to that, and that structure is just staggeringly well-made. So I just want to... I can't shut up about it. It's so cool.
0: Well, I think... I mean, to me, this is probably as perfect as a wuxia movie can get. Like, I would say it's the perfect wuxia movie. I know not everybody would agree with me. Um, I know that, you know, like, for example, a lot of people might might not feel... Like, like the action is more about the 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 acting of it than the, the physical performance of it. Do you know what I mean? Because Leslie Chung's not a, um, you know, not a martial uh, actor as much as, as say, like a, um, a Jet Li type or something. But, but he's a really good actor. And Bridget Lin is a really great actress. And they can both, they can both get that presence that is, is, is important in this movie. And also, the, you, you need to buy into the love story. Do you know what I mean, especially because of the things we're talking about? It's a, you know how people say Back to the Future is the perfect script. The, the, you know the, yeah. I don't know if you've heard that. I, I don't know if it's true, but I know people say that.
1: And it's pretty damn close. Like again, that's a movie that you look at the structure of that, and you're like, holy wow, that's really well put together.
0: And and one of the downsides of something like that is people will they'll they'll take that and they'll say now every movie has to be just like that. Like it has to be just as concise and efficient as this does. And so there's a downside <laughs> to it, but. But in this case, I think this is like the perfect wuxia movie in terms of its pacing, in terms of how the proportions of all the elements appear in the film, in terms of how it flows. I, I've never been bored at a single moment of this movie, no matter how many times I've rewatched it. And there's not a single thing in the movie that I dislike. And everything about it, I enjoy. So, I, 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 you know, I mean those are pretty simple measures. But I think that, for me, that's, that's sort of how I... Uh, how I rank them. And then on top of that it, it I just always am uh moved by the movie. And I and I'm always finding new and interesting things about it. Um so so to me it's 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 uh, you know I, I would agree with you. It's it's a it's a perfect wuxia film, a perfect film. And you know th- this it's it's just beautiful. It's a beautiful movie and it's and it's a movie I can show to people who don't like wuxia. But it's also a movie that I think if you like wuxia, is is it hits all the right buttons?
1: Yeah, actually, uh, a movie I usually hear that about is uh, "Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon" because that was one of the really big Western release wuxia movies that was like legitimately like wire wuxia. Wusha. I would definitely show someone this before I'd show them "Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon" because that one's so dense and like it's so so many parts that are just kind of empty to it there's not an ounce of fat. There's no dead air in this movie. This is the Tobacco Auctioneer of Wuxia Films. Well, I think with Crouching, Crouching Tiger, we'd
0: have to we'd have to watch it and talk about it to do it justice because it's obviously an influential movie. It's one that it is. I, it's, like most people that are I would imagine most people today that are interested in watching Wuxia that are under a certain age, that was their introduction. At least if you're an American or, you know, um, and so I I, I I, I, it definitely has a strong influence and, and I, I quite like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon um, I, do, I do see your point because there's, the, there's the famous sort of desert sequence which kind of goes on for a great length and, and a, lot of the, a lot of the movie the thing about the thing about uh, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon is I feel like it approaches Wuxia a little bit like ballet or something where it's really there for like the beauty of the movement and you have to be all on board for watching that whole movie if you're on board with that it's very enjoyable I remember when I saw it in the theater I had a great time watching it because the uh, uh, I really liked watching the grace of the actors and the choreography that was my favorite aspect to that film more than the other as- other elements of it um, oh,
1: yeah. that is but, an admirable aspect of that like visually speaking it is beautiful and the action is very yeah. beautiful sweeping
0: yeah and it's very languid like it's deliberately designed to sort of it's got like a I, I, this is a horrible analogy, but it's the only thing I can think of. It's kind of like if you ever had a fish tank growing up and you watch fish, you know, it's that kind of grace. It's that sort of moving, the grace of moving through water. And, I don't know,
1: man. That's that's pretty accurate. That, that might be a great analogy.
0: Okay, well, it's it's never landed as well as it is now, so I don't know, but
1: uh, it stuck the landing. It finally stuck the landing. It found the but, guy. Remember, I, I took tai chi, so that's exactly how they describe the movement in tai chi is is swimming in air. And like, yeah, OK, I could I could see there being a Tai Chi element to that. It, that's what it reminded me of when I was a kid and I watched it for the first time. Yeah, uh, no, we it's might got, get it's got off that. track, but
0: <laughs> no, but I think it's, I think it, I think it ties in. And obviously this movie is very, very different. Um, and like you said, but I, but I, I would agree with you if, 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 if there's probably like a handful of movies that I would use as my first viewing for people if I was going to introduce them to Wuxia. And this would certainly be one of them. Um, you know, it it does get a little bit it's not by today's standards, it's not at all that racy, but it's something mm-hmm. that I would maybe keep in mind when I recommend it to somebody just if I know their tastes.
1: Um, there, there are, I mean like the the love scene I think is the raciest scene as far as like uh because there's there's really two things you got to look out with when you recommend movies. It's like the level of violence and the level of like intimacy and nudity are are two things that are kind of triggers for us western viewers. I mean like I I'm not a prude. I'm not going to go much further than that. I'm not a prude. I didn't, watching this movie, that didn't even register for me. It might be like, oh no, you can see well, someone's bare chest. Oh, really? Ooh. Well, hey. I mention
0: it because on the cover, I think of the Tai Seng version, and I think of the movie poster in America, it said like an erotic masterpiece. And and so, you know, <laughs> it, it's, really no, no, no no. again, by today's standards, it's, it's, it's very tame. But it was like 1993, and back then that would have been regarded as, as more erotic. Um, no, you're not but, wrong I yeah.
1: concur with you, but.
0: <laughs> but but there, but all those elements are done artfully so I think even people who might normally object to that kind of stuff won't really I mean it's done in a way that it all ties with the movie it's not it's not just purely for titillation um,
1: it, it and, is and there's something about this movie that that's a very it's unique I've never seen this before where it does have elements that in a different movie you'd kind of consider to be these kind of like crass titillation things like the the way the main villain gets killed as conjoined twins is they're split violently in half and there's blood fountaining yeah. everywhere, which by the way, clear Kurosawa influence on the movie. Uh, but in the context of this movie and and the way it's shot and the way it's presented, it's not gratuitous. It actually seems like a pretty apt ending to that SOP. It's a really vile villain. So no,
0: yeah, no, I, I think I think that's a good comparison too but yeah i mean and again i'm not you know i like these kind of movies i don't i don't you know sex and violence doesn't bother me at all but um but i think that uh but this film is one where because it says erotic masterpiece on the cover of that poster which a lot of people see when they try to find the movie they get a they get a it's an inaccurate you know
1: like people hear erotic and what they what they hear in their mind is pornographic yeah there's a line there it and, is erotic and, it's,
0: and, it's, it's, and and no there are erotic elements to it but i guess what i'm saying is it's 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 not like it, it, you know it shouldn't dissuade people from watching the movie because they're really going to miss out on 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 some some really well crafted filmmaking it's there's another movie by Cho yuan called intimate confessions of a chinese courtesan which obviously has a very titillating title and it's a, yeah, um and it's and, and it's it's got you know, it's it's sort of one of the, the first wuxia films to have like a lesbian romance in it, so there's also that. But the uh but but I think a lot of people mistake it for trash because of the title and some of the subject matter. But it's actually one of the most visually beautiful films I've ever seen in my life. It's uh it's it's an amazing movie. And uh and and and, 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 and so I think with films like this, you know, I just would encourage people to and again, I think with this one, it's not as much of an issue except for that erotic masterpiece tagline that appears in yeah, the poster. The
1: tagline is the most erotic part yeah. as far as that, the most objectionable part. Because, I mean, like, we should probably coin the phrase 90s erotic, which just means that, like, a woman will writhe in it. She'll have her clothes on. Yeah. But there will be writhing. There's going to happen. That's what that I, actually translates
0: there's to. There's one scene where you can see—no, there's two scenes where you can see breasts. Uh, one of them is that dancer that turns from a man into a woman through magic. Oh yeah, that and, was cool yeah, though. Yeah, you know, that was a really cool scene. And then there's uh, and then there's the uh, the it's not a the. Scene for me.
1: What was that? <laughs> like, because you're right. It's to, it's a total like frontal topless thing, and it does man to woman. But the thing about that that interested me wasn't the breast. It was the fact that a guy just magically transformed his gender on camera, which was really cool. Uh, yeah. Oops. <laughs> you're right. I that. I totally overlooked the the nudity part of that. That's weird. And Usually there's would, also
0: the the female sibling of the of the conjoined twins, the Chi Wu Shuang character. Uh, you you like barely see one of her
1: breasts at one point. I think
0: so. There's a like a little bit of
1: together, and they're all like <laughs> we're yeah. conjoined twins. Look at us.
0: But so it's not it's not like you know it's not over the top or anything. But um, but but I think I think that the uh the the we should probably you know revisit the the villain aspect of this movie because you commented on it and I think that the villain in this is really really strong so I don't know what, what was your I'm curious how you what you felt about this villain why did it why did you have such a strong reaction to him
1: okay well it's it there's a part of this is that's a good reason I'm going to give you that first then I'll give you the stupid reason I want to ease you into this okay all right so the, the good reason is because I, it's kind of rare to see a Chinese sorcerer in a wuxia movie but they are freaking cool it's a real like Hopping vampire-like creepiness to the character that's extremely well presented. There's an element of body horror that's not not all like Cronenberg-esque levels, but like you get that one scene where they're lying in the bed and they take the cover off and they're both conjoined, yeah. and it's clear they made the conjoined makeup between the actors like grotesque on yeah. purpose. So there's there's a grotesquerie to them. the The way it's acted, there's this reverb they put into both the actors' voices yes. that is that has a A real strong, like, unsettling vibe to it. Uh, Their powers are these, these, like, nasty psychic powers that allow them to kill people from distance, like, I want to go with Darth Vader on my analog there. But it really is it's a wonderful uh, colorful, interesting and and richly like, affecting character. Like, you have a visceral reaction to how creepy and gross and evil the character is. Really wonderful. Um, So all of that but also, also, their outfit is extremely stylish. And here's the stupid reason I like it. It reminded me of the evil clown wizard who became a god in Final Fantasy IV, Kefka. I love that game. I love Final Fantasy Okay. IV. And, uh... Or no, maybe it was 6 I'm thinking about. Final Fantasy VI. Anyway, yeah, Final Fantasy VI. The main bad guy, well, is initially this evil empire king. He's kind of generic. But his courtier is this, like, flat-out jester mm. who is such a bumbling jackass... And he, he's evil in an ineffective way because he's so insane. He's like the Joker. But at one point, he finds a way to ascend to godhood, and now God is this cackling uh, clown devil thing. And it's, uh, it's a really good, like, he's a really great villain. And this reminded me of him a lot. And, and like, something about the, the sort of, like, garishness of the way they, their outfit and their face paint and all that reminded me a lot about that crazy clown. And uh, that's a stupid reason I like the character, but really, if you have both, it's one of the best villains I've ever seen. Just and not just in Wu movies, just in general. What a great bad guy! And it's
0: and it's a really cool tormented villain because again, I, I was talking about this uh, in when we were doing the I Claudius podcast, where uh, you know, one of the problems with with uh, with tormented sympathetic villains is they're not they're often not very terrifying because you sympathize with them too much. But this is one where the villain manages to be really. Like terrifying and horrible, but also you kind of understand the torment that the villain is going through, uh, both because they're sort of, they clearly don't. At least the brother clearly doesn't want to be uh, attached to the sister. It's a little less clear. The sister seems more content with the uh, with the arrangement, but the but the brother is in love with with the wolf girl, and and there's no reciprocity there, and so you know it's it's the, sort of the source of the character's torment, and and so he's you know he's, he's he 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 has a little bit more texture and depth than he might otherwise have, but it's not it's not so deep that it that it that it overwhelms the uh, the the villain aspect of it. You know, you can still do horrible things.
1: Yeah, and that's the thing. I kind of draw a parallel between him and the the Jack Nicholson Joker from the ninety one Batman movie, where you understand the character is in pain and legitimately tormented, but he also it doesn't make you hate them any less. They're not yeah. any revolting and horrible
0: the, I have to say that the, the actors that, that play Chi uh, Wu Shang the, the, the male sibling is I believe his name is Francis Ng and I'll probably pr- pronounce this incorrectly but Elaine Lao Sao Ling I think is the name of the actress who played the, the female sibling and they both do an amazing job with this character I think I think he's really good sort of showing the, the, the self loathing and the the pining for the wolf girl and just the internal conflict uh, over the over the condition and the uh, the Elaine Lau uh, uh Cao Ling char- character she 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 just does a great job of um, I don't know, just just the, the, the she's utterly insane is the only way to describe her. She's just she's she's cackling madly, but it's a it's a really well done mad cackling villain. And they're a nice contrast to each other because she's sort of she's sort of like the the, the cackling villain side of the character, and he's the more brooding thoughtful side of the of the villain character. Um, he's also seems to be more of the ide- idealist. And she's sort of more rooted in well, this is the reality of the situation, so let's let's make make the best of it, um, and uh,
1: and yeah, I don't know. Oh, I'm sorry. It's a good balance. It really is, and it's a good balance that makes an effect. Because uh, like a lot of times, whenever we say good balance, I think what we what is what we put out from that is like, oh, it will make you feel good because it's well balanced everything else in this movie makes you feel good because of its balance. Their balance makes you feel kind of (laughs) sick because of, and it's not just because of the physicality of it, although it's an element, the thing that really like turns your stomach about them is the, is the people that they are because you're right. He's brooding and, and cruel in this like long drawn out way. And she's cackling in like genuine sadism about the grotesqueness and horror of the things she does. And they're they're awful, evil characters, just so loathsome. And it's wonderful. It's amazing that they've they've used balance to achieve something that is extremely negative in a way that it benefits the movie. I I've never I mean like when was the last maybe Baron Harkonnen from the the old Doom yeah. movie is the last time I saw anything like that? So, yeah, I have to compare it to like a master like David Lynch, who was basically they built his career to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. They managed to get something real close to a David Lynch moment. That's impressive. Well,. That's and, really it, impressive.
0: and it works in a number of other ways, too. Number one, I liked how they, they really they hold they hold their cards close to their chest with those characters. You don't know that they're conjoined twins until or, uh, or conjoined siblings until much later in the movie, because they, they, they sort of play these tricks where they have him sliding into view and then sliding out of you and then her sliding into view and it just looks like they're trying to be stylistic about the way the conversation is being shot and it's not until that bed scene when they pull off the 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 covers and the reveal that you were talking about appears that that you realize for sure that these are conjoined twins
1: um the first the the very first scene not gonna lie to you i thought he was able to magically change genders
0: Well, no, and that doesn't – that makes sense because right before they appear, you see the guy go from being a man to a woman. Uh, Yeah, I was
1: supposed to think that, (laughs) you know? And that would have also been a totally creepy and interesting element to the character that he's just able to, like, casually leap forward between these two identities. Um, Yeah, the – that would have been unsettling too, and I, it's great that they pulled it off the way they did.
0: And, and again, that's another reason why I think this is a perfect movie because that scene where the guy changes his gender there—it's—it's—it's it's, it's, um, it's not just there just to dazzle you or to say, "Look at what they can do." It was there to plant that thought in your head so that you don't assume that they're conjoined. Do you know what I mean? So that so that, that doesn't even enter as a thought. You you just leap to the conclusion that he can change, you know, cha- change gender or that it's stylistic.
1: The um, the, the reverb in the book because he does a speech before that and the reverb in his voice is there too uniquely amongst all the characters you already know this character is supposed to be weird if you didn't yeah. get that visual clown makeup you've got this, this unsettling appearance the the voice reverb and then right after that you've got the gender change thing so like it's totally reasonable for you to assume that this is the same character and not the character's conjoined twin sister especially because they both have that reverb of their voice
0: yeah, yeah the reverb is really a big part of what makes that character work as well um, also the, the fight choreography with that character is really amazing because you know, there, there's a challenge obviously in having two characters that are joined together they're kind of joined where like a, like a, it seems like the spine or the back of the yeah, back playful. where the kidney is or something it's like a, a very awkward spot they can't face each other and, um, and I like that they uh, uh, that they have them spinning like a top in the in the battle that that makes total sense for for the for the you know that they would adapt their style to to to, to be that way and I, I thought that was really cool in fact I use something like that in the um, tournament of Dalu book I have at the end of the book I have um I, I decided to, I, I wanted to make uh, uh, conjoined characters that were inspired by them and so I have these sisters that are conjoined at the spine and and the way that I instead of having them spin like a top I had them flip in their their, their 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 technique is that they sort of uh, they kind of cartwheel and, and and flip as they attack, um, cool. but I, I, like the, I like that visual. I liked that visual. I thought it really worked, and uh,
1: uh, also it feeds into the unusual and monstrous nature of how they do everything. Because mm. when they're spinning around, like again, they they're you've got the the female actress like cackling, and she has that reverb to her cackle, and it, and I've I had to draw an immediate mental parallel. To like the wicked witch of the west uh, in uh, in uh, Wizard of Oz, where she's in the she's in the twister, and there's this kind of like dizziness to it, and this this madness to it, and like the way they look, it it would be really easy to make it look stupid to have two actors who are sitting back to back twirling around. Uh, like if that was on stage, it wouldn't have the same effect. But in this case, it makes them seem like one large misshapen grotesque monster thing. And like I'm not trying to razz on conjoined twins here, but it's the way it's presented in this movie that makes it something monstrous.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: No, you know, it works. It works it works in this movie for sure. And um the the other thing that I, I like about the film is the way the movie comes to a head because again it's so the pacing is so well done. It just it just it, the, 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 the the where 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 all of the drama starts to culminate is sort of at the perfect moment in the movie. And, it, and, and they have these series of scenes that are kind of cut together where the first one is, I think, the general letting in the Qing troops to betray the Ming, and then Lian Chung being ritually beaten and, and, and kicked out of the sect or, or leaving the sect through that sort of, you know, deinitiation process or whatever you would call it. Yeah. Um, and at the end of that scene, being given her bridal dress by the children, which is an important thing that's easy to miss because, you know, she's wearing a bridal dress in that last scene. Um, thus the name.
1: Um, yeah. Also, a element of Chinese culture that might have been lost on me if I hadn't read Legends of the Wu By the way, she's wearing a red dress when she goes uh, to tell them that she wants to leave the sect. They yeah. strip the dress off her, and she changes into a white dress. Yes. That's exactly the opposite of how wedding dresses work in China.
0: Yeah. Yeah. In fact, so the red dress is the is the wed- is the wedding dress, and white actually symbolizes death. I think in Mm -hmm. chinese culture so the white hair and the white dress it's it's, it would be the equivalent i suppose in an american movie of having somebody dress all in black and have dyed black hair all of a sudden it's probably the closest you know comparison um so it's visually really striking and they do a really good job with the makeup she's got white hair her face is clearly whitened a little bit too and there's like a red line going down the center of her head uh and it just it, it looks really cool. Again, one of the one of the big aspects of these movies when you're watching them is the costuming. The costuming tells you so much about the characters. You were talking about the villain and how that costuming, the golden sort of paint on the face and the and the and the pointy hats and the just the you know the 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 weird way that they kind of you know uh, are postured because of their condition. You know those things tell you everything about the characters. And same here. Uh, so when she transforms into the bride with white hair, it's a really powerful moment in the movie. Um, but uh, but yeah, and then you know and and then after the bridal dress, that's when uh, Wu Dang comes to Yi Cho Hong, who's um, he's still in the cave where they've made love and they ask for his help to contend with the general. He explains that he wants to leave the martial world to be with her. And they say, well, you need to explain your decision to the chief. They go he goes to explain his decision and the chief has been decapitated. Uh, and the blame has been put on Lian Nih-chung and, and, and in fact one of his friends uh, is dying when he arrives there and he says it was it was the wolf girl uh, because, because they were dressed like her and, he, and, and you know, he had no reason to believe otherwise
1: yeah that, that was a, a painful scene too because like, like the dude dies in his arms and they're clearly very close <laughs> it was extremely well acted and like you said it's, it's affecting like, I didn't yeah. I okay so I'm a, I'm a removed emotionally dead jerk most of my life and uh, I almost hate when a movie makes me feel something but I couldn't help it like this movie will make you feel stuff
0: yeah, no, definitely, it definitely will, and that, and I think that 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 culmination of all that drama has a lot to do with it, because, like I said, it it sort of begins with the general letting in the Qing troops, and then it ends with the beheading and the death of the friend, and then her arriving, and then you have this big dramatic moment. And earlier in the movie, she had said to him, like, just promise me one thing, like you'll you'll never distrust me, you know, like like you know, like you'll never you'll never believe, you know, like it, it's it's, it, it's 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 something that. Uh, you know, you sort of you 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 is planted before the scene happens, and then when he when he when 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 she tells him I didn't do it, he doesn't believe her. He distrusts her, and that's the thing that really creates the sense of betrayal more than anything else. Um, and then she just sla- like she slaughters, she impales the uh, the Luhua character uh, pretty mercilessly. I would say she 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 fights with a whip, which is something we should talk about. And I think she oh, even yeah, whips in the cool ass yeah. whip she uses all the time. <laughs> yeah, she she whips she whips people in half. I think I think that the um uh that the uh the Luha's uh father is actually bisected from head to, to groin, if I remember. Um I could be wrong <laughs> on that, but he's 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 killed very brutally. But she's got a whip and I think that's uh, an interesting an interesting uh, weapon. You don't see it an awful lot. You see it sometimes. Like there's the movie The Shadow Whip, and I know I've seen it in other films, other uh, versions of The Bride with White Hair. But it's it's a cool. It's 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 hard to do the choreography. I think for a whip, and I think they do a really good job of making it work in this movie.
1: Yes, I concur. And um, it's another one of those things where like having a lot of different interesting weapons is an element of wushu films that you really don't there's no analog to that in western uh movies like very very occasionally you'll see it in like a western or something like that Mm -hmm. but like it's it's pretty uncommon for someone to have like a signature weapon or there being other people with different you know what James Bond. James Bond. Yeah, I was
0: actually. just thinking James Bond. James Bond. Okay. You also see it in like '80s action movies, or you know, like there was a period in filmmaking where like specific types of guns were always very important. And so you know, like this this guy would have you know a three fifty seven Magnum, or this guy would be fighting with a what was the movie or Predator, there. where Jesse Ventura has like the 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 weapon that's a helicopter gun or some some crazy gun oh, that a normal yeah. person wouldn't use. Um, or this guy it's fights with a grenade launcher but it's not the same but, uh, but what I but what's cool about the weapon variety too is I mean it's not just about the attacking with the weapon it's also about what they can use the weapon for when they're not fighting uh, to, to sort of just visually like you know like, like the, the, the whip plays a lot into her, the way that she holds her stances for example and it just gives her character these dramatic poses that tell you a lot about that character so, I, I, you know, I, I think The Whip is done very well. I mean, uh, you know, The Shadow Whip is a, is a movie that did a, did a good job with The Whip, but I think this movie does an even better job in terms of just utilizing it visually and getting the characterization down.
1: True, and there's also a lot of brutality to uh, the fights in this movie. I, I think that maybe the—and, like, thinking about it structurally, if they didn't have actors who physically were good at fight choreography, they weren't, like, martial artists themselves— maybe they were relying on like the, the striking nature of the, the visuals in combat. So you have single attacks that have really big explosive effects and things like that. I wonder if that was their replacement. If they're like, okay, this is still a wuxia movie. We still have to deliver something. And so that's what they delivered in the well, loop of more uh, elaborate choreography.
0: I think they did a few things, and I'm not an expert on this, so take it with a grain of salt, but I think that they, uh, number one, they leaned on the acting heavily. Like, there are scenes where with... And again, it's not like these actors aren't doing physical things they are doing physical things but um yeah. but it's 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 not like jet Lees Li. you know it's just it's a different it's a different type of performance um, and uh the, but 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 bridget Lynn you know she can make you believe something with a look you know she just kind of you know glances at somebody and you believe this woman can 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 cut them in two and you almost don't need to see it. And so I think I and again it's not like she has no familiarity with this style of film. I mean, she she's done these kinds of movies. There are movies where you definitely see her uh, giving physical performances. I think in the Dragon Inn movie, she was actually shot with an arrow on accident because she was involved in a stunt. So it's not like she doesn't do stunt work or stuff like that. But but I mean, it's just it's just a it's this is not this is the era where you have Jackie Chan's and Jet Li's, and so there's a distinction to be made. Um, uh, and and so. Uh, uh, but but i think that um the the other thing that they did was there were scenes where i think they mis- mislead you through creative uses of how they are filming it so there's this, there's in one of the battle scenes in the forest the camera kind of fl- zooms around the battlefield and and she actually steps out of frame and then i i believe a stunt double might actually enter into the frame to do a couple of moves and then they pan over and you see her come back into frame and it's seamless. It's done perfectly. I, I think that's, that's, you know, it's perfectly fine. Um, where that stuff bothers me is when you can see somebody holding a wig on their head. Or, you know what I mean? <laughs> like what, like when, when it's just, or like, you know, like you see it all the time. Like in the 80s action movies, you'd see uh, somebody who totally does not look like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Doesn't look like the main actor, you know, d- jumping out of a car and and, the, and 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 you can clearly see that the face is different or clearly see that it's it's now a man instead of a woman or something like that. but but this was all done very, very well, I thought
1: yeah, I didn't know that. like you're right if they do so, if they did stuff like that in the creation of this movie, it is seamless and it doesn't hurt the action or the pacing or any of the visuals. Uh, do we talk about the angles in this movie like the Dutch angles and things like that? I think we should at least have a brief mention of like the court, the uh, what do you call it? Cinematography. It's beautiful. It yeah, it really mean,
0: is. So it it's shot like a lot of the '90s wuxia movies. They're shot like from from these Dutch angles that get kind of. They create like a surreal feel to everything. It, yeah. it can if if it can probably be a little bit jarring if you're not used to it. If you've never seen movies that are shot in this style and you go back and watch them, it might seem strange. But if you're comfortable with it, it's 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 kind of you know I, I find it vaguely nostalgic. I think you said you did too. and and i like the effect that it creates it creates a real moody and atmospheric effect and it and it limits what you're able to see in an interesting way some and it's at its worst it can it can cloud what's going on but at its best it, it 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 gives you exactly the right amount of information to to feel the way that you need to feel about the shot
1: um I wanted to especially mention in the, the extended love scene in the cave, where they have wide-angle, Dutch-angle shots of the interior of the cave. It really helps to make the cave feel like an organic thing that you're you're kind of like make, taking a peek yeah. into. So that was really immersive. I really liked that. This, yeah. This when, uh, yeah where they, where, rather than being an intrusive thing, like I think that one of the criticisms of, like say, the Thor movie was that there were too many Dutch angles, because they were done artlessly and it was intrusive and in this case they're they're blended well and it's not intrusive it's actually
0: are you again, talking about the four the the constable movie the um the
1: no no I'm talking about the marvel superhero four Oh movie. okay okay because there's because
0: yeah. there's a movie called the four that maybe we should watch that's uh, okay. one uh one list. well well and it's and it's kind of got a superhero vibe um but it's it's and it's new it's very new I don't remember it having dutch angles though so that's why I was asking um but uh and it's a trilogy but uh but anyways the uh <laughs> yeah. <Trilogies>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I'm going to I'll 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 we'll 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 put that off for a little while. Um but uh but yeah no I think um I think I think also just I mean, there's a lot of movies shot in this style from the 90s with Lucia but this one is just particularly well done. I mean it it opens up I think it opens up with a landscape like a painting of some kind and a lot of movies do that but this this really seamlessly connects with the opening scene with the blossom and it's and 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 it's in and just the the atmosphere is it's it's uh i guess i i guess it's 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 comparable to me and they're not visually similar in any way it's just in terms of this movie created an atmosphere that you can almost feel with your hands uh yeah uh uh, the 92 version of dracula did something kind of similar um, yeah. It doesn't look at all They're, the same, but like you, 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 you can you can feel the the mist in your lungs when you watch that movie. Do you know
1: what I mean? That's true. Yeah, the the flagstones that are that are, are actors clambering over are very uh, very real. There's a oh man, this is not that's not the only '90s movie that did that too. Even like I think we mentioned Mortal Kombat earlier, which is really written off a lot as like kind of a classic bad movie, but even that has a strong atmosphere to it that is very immersive so i don't know I'll, there's some magic to it
0: i'll have to watch it again i mean what was the what's the female character's name from mortal Kombat? it's been a while since i've played it sonya sonya Th- that was my big disappointment was her big because i used to like to play sonya when i played that game and i yeah, liked her was... technique where she would like you know grab the person with her legs and flip them over and in the movie they did it very differently like she turned to the side at the end it, it, it didn't it didn't work for me, and that—that's uh, the only part of the movie I remember. And I remember it kind of souring me on the film. Oh, but clear. now that yeah. I have what is it, thirty years of distance, uh, maybe I'll check it out again and see and see if I had a different reaction. Um, no, because we used to play when me and my friends played Mortal Kombat till we were blue in the face. Like we, oh, same here. I love yeah, that game. Yeah, it was. Uh, I was in high school, I think, when that movie came out, and I just remember, you know. Like after school, we'd go to my, my my friend Evan's house and we would play uh, we would play Mortal Kombat, and then we would end up playing D and D usually by the end of the day. But but Mortal Kombat was the like there was a period of time where that was uh, you know I, I spent way too much time playing that game and uh,
1: huh. it it rewarded you though it it rewarded you because it was a fun game and there were so many nifty little like creepy secrets in it. It's great. it was a great little game. Well, yeah,
0: well, and, and again, now it's like it's it's old hat, but at the time, those fatality <laughs> things were like, whoa, like, this is amazing. Yeah, you know?
1: That was mind-blowing yeah. back, day. I mean, like, we, and especially, like, it, the experience was you played, like, Zelda and Link and stuff like that, or Zelda and Link. Like Zelda. Mario, you played, like, Mario. <laughs> Mario is a good yeah. example. You go from playing Mario 2 and you're like, I can throw a radish. Then you rip a dude's head off, (laughs) spine is dangling off, and you're like...
0: Yeah, and and I mean, and there were like more adult-oriented games at that time, but they were generally, if I recall, they were on computers. You would, you know, like there was obviously like the Leisure Suit Larry series, and I think there was another game by the same company called Manhunter that got a little bit into violent territory. But but generally, I, I, you know, console games I don't remember them being that violent maybe they were they
1: they weren't man like Mortal Kombat was and I'm going to have to look this up to confirm it but as I recall it was the game that made the ESRB a thing Okay. because it was such an outcry against that game and they loved every second of it they were the uh, they were the rock star of their era you know
0: no, that that was. I mean, and the thing that's funny is you can't win that. Like adults cannot win that fight. If you, you know, we we were we, we were so enthused by that amount of bloodshed in the game, and the moment adults tell you, "Oh, that's bad," it just makes it that much more appealing. So, you they, know,
1: they got to get it.
0: Yeah, know? yeah. Oh wow, it's it, it. You know, I'm not I'm not supposed to play this unless I'm like 17 or something. Like wow, I'm just, you <laughs> rules. Know, are, yeah.
2: yeah. So
0: so yeah. It's, <laughs> but 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 yeah it's 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 been ages since i played that game though but but again it's not really relevant to this movie except for the fact that a lot of the bloodshed in this is at that like she's cutting people in half with the with the whip she's um you know you know there there is there is some real at one point she chopped somebody into eight bits and you know
1: that was gross (laughs) oh crap. Uh, yeah and th- there is that vibe of like I want to call it ultra violence where it's not just violent it's violent to the point where it's sort of cartoonish in a grotesque way um, oh man I can't remember the name of the Kurosawa movie where where they did that where that really originated because it was a Kurosawa movie at the end of it it's, it's a, I think it's like Shogun or something like that uh, where they have an iujitsu duel one of the guys hits the other one and there's this delay and this blood just sprays everywhere and uh that happens a lot in this movie where it's like yeah. hit it's like blood spray
0: well in the opening <laughs> scene one of the one of the uh i think there's like a bunch of generals that go to get the flower for the Qing emperor and you know there's this flourish of blades as they attack him and and one of the generals lands and then like moments later his chest just starts shooting out blood and then he collapses yeah. and then, unlike yeah. the scene you said with the villain when he when they get cut in half it's the same kind of thing and I think the, blood, yeah. And and again, this is I was explaining this. My 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 father and I were watching um, uh, Kill Bill the other night, and and you know, he my father's not like a fan of these kind of movies, but he was asking about them when we were watching it. And I was trying to explain to them this, I like a lot of that movie was inspired by Chang Che and stuff like that. And this idea of of using bloodshed as sort of a poetic catharsis, uh, you know, it's it's not it's not just, you know, it's not just for shock value it's 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 meant to convey emotion and it meant to convey even ideas and at the at the end of this movie you see that with the villain where there's a sense of relief as he's as he's being like the the bloodletting is a um you know he he's sort of he, he he lets out this sigh of relief and then he and then he rolls onto his back and he says oh it feels so good to sleep in this position you know It's like and uh and so it's uh uh it sort of emphasizes again the torment the villain is going you know this is you know and again i don't think the sister i think the sister remains on her side actually i don't think she falls onto her back like that Um, she falls onto her back but she's clearly not happy with it okay (laughs) but but it's Um, oh go ahead
1: you know you can draw a literary parallel between that and the ending of light in august which is uh, a Faulkner one so like when you can draw a parallel to Faulkner, you've probably done something right structurally.
0: Yeah, no, I mean I I think I think this is a very uh I I think this is the kind of movie that, you know, you can appreciate at multiple levels. Um and and I I think that uh that the the way that violence is used in this is very artful. You know, it's it's it's, it's gory, but it's artful. Um and you know, I don't I don't think violence needs to be artful, but when it is, it's it's uh, a <laughs> It's, it's it's amazing and i think people overlook that a lot they don't they don't um they don't understand that you know the 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 cathartic utility of it and the uh um and i don't know, just the just how how poetic it can be when it's done right um, yeah there's so. it's almost
1: beauty to it even though it is grotesque and shocking yeah uh, no definitely
0: so. Def- there is beauty is it's it's a beautifully shot movie and the and the violence in this is very uh very well crafted
1: yeah, well-crafted. That's a good way to put it. And I, I think you're right about the cathartic utility, which, by the way, there's a phrase I didn't think i hear talking about a kung fu movie. Yeah. <laughs> the cathartic utility of violence. Uh, but yeah, that, that nails it, because it's not merely that, ooh, there's blood and it's cool. You know, there's, there's a dimension deeper than that that it, it serves in the movie. It's really, yeah, it's it's almost hard to talk about because it's something that's so visual in nature. But it, it's visual and emotional, which I mean, what more could you want out of an element in the movie?
0: No, definitely, and uh, and again, we're getting up to the fifty-minute mark, so I wanted to segue into the gaming segment of the of the uh, discussion. If we have anything to say, maybe this is a movie that doesn't really speak to gaming. I don't know. What's your What's your feeling on what you you know? How How would you draw on this for inspiration?
1: Oh man, there's a lot I could draw on inspiration of. This is one of those movies that I feel like kind of justifies my my thinking of games as a scene structure based thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, because some some games do that kind of artfully, and some games can do it sort of poorly. And I think that the classic way you play a game, you don't really have scenes so much. You have something closer turns, yeah. where it's like, this turn we're going to investigate for secret doors, and then this turn we're going to take a rest. Um, and... When you think about it in terms of scenes, it's not so wed to a particular increment of time passing, so much that it is like an emotional beat fully resolving and yeah. then leading into the next beat in the story. Yeah. And whenever you see a movie that has the kind of tightness and the sort of liquid uh, flow that this one has, that that can, like, that's something that you can bring into games. And the way they do it in this movie is the same way I would recommend doing it if you were a GM wanting to do a scene-based structure rather than a turn-based structure. I would just say, let the emotional energy of the scene fully resolve. Don't let it peter out, let it resolve, and then move to the next uh, scene of interest. So uh, that's something, like, structurally that I, I admired a lot about this movie, and I think it's something you can do in games. Something I've done technique-wise in games, as far as pacing them. And it makes a game that is has a thrilling pace... Even if there's nothing thrilling happening, just because the things that are happening are so well defined and linked to one another.
0: No, I, I, I mean, I don't. I, my, my, my style of gaming is 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 obviously a little bit different. I tend to do more freeform approaches to play. But I'm very curious about how you would how you would uh, bring bring this to life with scene structures. Uh, and I, 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 I think at some point we should probably start actually running some sessions together so that we can get a sense of it because the close like like I'm not I, I tend not to run things with scenes but I I there are games I've played where that have been structured around scenes that I enjoyed one game that I liked was the hill folk game um, which was very much not in the normal style of play that I would I would tend to gravitate to but it did it in a way that the Parts like, like when I play a game, the thing I I really like is sort of the immersive, I'm in my character type, type Mm -hmm. feel of it. And Hill Folk did a good job of there were bits between the scenes that you don't get that, but then once you get to the scene, it's all that. Do you know what I mean? It's all immersion. Um, and I was surprised because whenever I've talked to people about applying scene structure to games and stuff like that, uh, there's usually this meta thing going on because you're actively implying this, applying the scene structure. That feels yeah, like it would be. You disruptive. know, at
1: some point the GM can put down that little clacker and be like, "Scene." Yeah. And you're right. There's a real, a legitimate risk of having that ruin the broth as far yeah. as role playing is concerned, as far as immersion is concerned. Well, so, a... yeah, you're not wrong to have that fear. No,
0: no, no, no and not and 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 the and the other aspect to it is, as a player, I might be thinking I'm trying to play to the scene rather than enjoying just playing the character. Um, but what I found with the hillfolk approach was that. Uh, um because you sort of deal with it between the scenes and because everybody goes in you all you know is you want one you know you want something you want something from that scene, and that's that's what drives the drama of it uh it's very easy to immerse in that and so i f- i found it i found it i found it like one of the most immersive experiences i've i've ever had in an r p g which again was striking to me, and so the reason why I bring it up is because i was i was thinking you know maybe that would be a good uh you know, trying to run it with Hillfolk might be interesting. Um, but I'm also curious about how, you know, you might approach it, because I know you've written extensively on this, and I've I've picked <laughs> your brain on it sometimes. But I come at it from such a di- different angle, I don't know how I would apply it.
1: Well, it, the, the important thing that I have found about it, and actually you brought this up with the Hillfolk thing, is that the stuff that is structural about the scene, uh, the motivation and the goals of the characters and players in the scene, that should not happen with in the scene because what should be happening within a scene is like you said immersion role playing doing the thing that you want to do with the role-playing game uh, with with uh tian shang one of the things i did was I, I sort of inherited some mechanics uh from legends of the woolen where uh you as a player in a very in a very metagame moment have to decide how your wounds manifest you can either take uh physical drawbacks or you can just role play them out during the scene and the way it worked in Legends of the Woolin is that because you rolled many times during the turn, every time you had to pick up your dice, you had to make that decision about how it was going to manifest. Mm-hmm. And within like parts of those dice rolls, you had other decisions to make. So it was kind of all over the map. And the way I, I structured that in Tian Shang was I took all those decision points and I moved them to the beginning of the round before you year old dice because it, very much we are accustomed as, 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 as players of role-playing games to picking up the dice and rolling them and understanding that as part of the sort of meta part of the game where we had to interact with the game element. But if you put that in a discrete area, you give license to players to immerse in the consequences of the decision they made as a player, as a character. Okay. So I solve it the exact same way Hillfolk does effectively, and it's the same way with my scene structures in that game. Before, Whenever the energy of a scene peters out, the players are at a point where they want to make another decision about what they want to do next. Making okay. that decision is a between scene thing, and then that makes a trajectory for the scene. Yeah, that, that, check,
0: okay, right? okay, that makes sense to me. I think that's what I liked about Hillfolk was that was that was that starkness between the two things uh, allowed for the scenes themselves to just it felt very immersive. Um, and then in between the scenes, there was like it felt more like I don't know the Cheetos munching section of the game. Do you know what I mean? Um, <laughs> yeah, which we'll
1: is. The, the
0: fabric of it you know? yeah so, so so it ended up working out well for me um, and and again uh, 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 I think at some point we should probably because it's 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 hard to, like I, I'm one of these people unless I like literally sit down and play the system I have a hard time imagining how it will play out um, mm-hmm. so I'd like to I'd like to you know start start doing something like that in the show at some
1: point where we where we well, now- now I've got a copy of your game coming in the mail today. This is the day it arrives from Amazon. And I've got the copy of House Paper Shadows that you sent me.
0: Oh, for. okay.
1: So I've actually had it right here with me. and So I'm, I'm very interested in, in playing your stuff. My stuff uh, does get mentioned every once in a while on sites. And the way I've heard it mentioned is it's in a very rough early alpha draft. That's about as fair as you could be with sparing my feelings to say that it just crapped right out of my brain just now. Fresh off the butt platter. Um, so yeah, it's my my game's probably not in a state where it's reasonable to to test it any kind of uh, as, a, as a product yet. It's you have to test it as a thing that is will, will be a product someday. But I yours feel... is done and it's very nice looking. Well,
0: thank you. I, I feel like yours is um, something that I you really need to play it. I feel to to understand it. That seems to be the. Um, I, I think it would be a very difficult game for somebody to review without playing it. Um, based on what I've seen. Uh, I don't know if you feel the same way,
1: but I it, no, I, I did design it so that it would become apparent what you were supposed to do yeah. during playing it. Yeah. So that's I think that's fair.
0: No, and I don't I don't think I don't mean it as an insult. I mean it is you know some game like you know like if if if, if uh, it's it's just it's just hard to 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 predict how something's going to feel when you see it on a page sometimes. Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah. And so I, I feel like it's one where based on sort of. Our conversations, where you've told me about the game and how it plays and why it plays the way it does, and what I've read, I feel like it benefits from live play the most. Um, you know, which is why I'm, you know, hoping we can we can we can do some of that. Uh, House of Paper Shadows, you know, I'm, I'm happy to. I'm going to run it in October. So,
1: um. oh god, that's the perfect time to run this adventure, by the way. And I'm glad it came today because, like, I knew we were going to do this thing today, and we we just got done watching Bride with White Hair, which is sort of a, a I almost want to call it like a horror wushy movie. It's more of like a body horror wushy movie thing, but it's got that sort of like kind of creepiness to the whole thing and a sort of visceralness to it. That's a really good thing to get uh, House of Paper Shadows in the mail with. It was a really good blend because I got this yesterday, and uh, I'm not going to lie to you, the first thing I did was I cracked it open, and I saw some of the beautiful art inside, like the this uh, picture right here, which I wish I could show people over a podcast.
0: Which picture uh, is
1: it? In Afflicted by Blood honey.
0: Oh, that's my favorite. That, that one uh, that's inspired by by the movie Blood Parrot or Bloody Parrot. I always get the I think it's Bloody Parrot. Um, there's a there's a I'm going to spoil a detail. If you if you're planning on watching Bloody Parrot, turn the turn the podcast off. But, turn the podcast but off. Don't spoil
1: Bloody Parrot. There's
0: a strange aphrodisiac that when people take it, this woman ends up taking it. I don't know how I don't know how it affects everybody, but she kind of looks a little lo- like like she looks monstrous, and so it. Initially when, 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 when the, uh, when the aphrodisiac affects her, you think, you think it's like a demonic type thing. Like it's some kind of supernatural thing, but it's really just this really bizarre aphrodisiac that, that, uh, that, uh, that, that does this to the person. So, and, and it's, it's very gulong. It's very sort of, uh, like walking that fine line of, of, uh, you know, magic and mundane in a really cool way. Um. You know, so so that 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 scene was uh uh that 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 image is inspired by it. It's, it's sort of an homage to, to Bloody Parrot.
1: Um, I just realized the things in the background and, are skins that are stretched on racks. Because that's wonderful. There's uh, I, a lot to love in this adventure, around This this, this dungeon you got here.
0: Yeah, and no, it was funny. I, I one of the things I did for that adventure was I was trying to research like that aspect of it. Like I didn't want it if I was gonna have a character that was was you know uh uh treating human skin uh to make it a a a medium for shadow puppets i i uh i wanted to make sure that i i like at least knew how that might be done with you know with with when how shadow puppets were made and how hide is treated and and all that stuff so that imagery is drawn from
1: from that research um it's nuts the stuff that comes up in research because like you'll research something like and you'll you'll assume going into that, and I would have assumed, like, oh, I'll, what we'll probably see is actual, like, leather and tanning of, of things like cow leather and things like that. And then you look it up and you're like, oh, no, they actually have um, artifacts in the museum of human hides that have been tanned that way and a detailed step-by-step process that our ancestors thought enough to write down. It's like, Jesus Christ. Uh, That's it, an embarrassment of wealth I'm not just embarrassed by. I'm somewhat disturbed by
0: well, and, and to be clear, I relied mainly on uh, on 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 methods used by by hunters and 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 by people who uh, uh, make shadow puppets from from like cowhide and stuff. Or I forget what an- there's a particular animal that they tend to use, but but the uh, but I you know the, the that was the so I used it more as an analog. Um, I'd be very interested in learning more about the exhibit that you were, uh, <laughs> if, but.
1: It's a one-way trip to crazy town, sir. I don't know if you want to ride that train. But yeah. um, but
0: no, but it was but but again, that that art is by Jackie Musto, and she did a real. This is, I think, um, it's it's definitely like one of my favorite uh, books that we have in terms of the visual uh, components of it. Um, but uh, but just to get back to Bride with White Hair, um, hmm. uh, what about the flower? That would make a really cool uh, premise for an adventure. This flower that blooms every 20 years you know you can imagine the possibilities of uh you know you know it's some it's something that the gm could introduce into an ongoing campaign where hey guys you know so and so just lost his head there's this flower that is uh gonna bloom you know in a year you could you know you you might be able to use that to bring him back or something and and, and, and the fact that everybody in the martial world would probably be looking for for this kind of a device uh, or this kind of a I don't know, uh, naturally occurring flower, um, it, it's, a, it's a cool premise. And, and you can also – oh, go ahead.
1: Uh, it is a cool premise. I was just agreeing with you.
0: <laughs> and, 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 I mean, imagine if you got there and the guy guarding the flower – is this this heartbroken swordsman who is just preserving it for his one true love that he betrayed all these years ago you know it's 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 a really great great adversary uh to use as a source of inspiration for
1: oh yeah and like that's a that's one of those uh things where a lot of times uh, structurally D gets put under the axe for the whole oh there's just another orc in a 10 by 10 room guarding a treasure chest well okay This is the equivalent of that. This is a dude guarding a treasure in a hex, you know? But it's great. (laughs) The entire movie was made out of the premise, you know? So, like, yeah, okay, structurally that can be presented in a stupid way, but there's no reason you have to be wed to the stupidity of it. That People guard stuff. People are places doing things. Don't... I don't I just like the mockery that D&D gets for being structured at all. Like there's some superior way of doing it.
0: Well, the um I think I think with Wusha this this premise works really well because the idea is I mean you have this guy who's he, you see him take those generals out with ease. He's oh, yeah. he's he's powerful enough to guard the flower and he's dedicated enough to this woman to sit there for all these years. And I mean you see this all the time there's there's another character in um his name escapes me at the moment, but uh, there's a, I think his name is Gua. I could be wrong, or Gao, maybe Little Gao from uh, Hero Shed No Tears. Um, but but he's this sort of yogic kung fu guy, and in in in, the, in one scene of the Cho Yuen movie, he mentions that he um, uh, that's based on the source material. He he mentions that he waited three days to watch a flower bloom. Do you know I mean? Which is like a like who would do that? You know, nobody nobody would sit there for three days and watch a flower bloom, but uh, but th- that's the kind of thing martial heroes do because they're they're powerful enough and dedicated enough to 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 their pursuits to to just sort of say I'm gonna I'm gonna do this and and do it and uh, and so the idea that you would happen upon this this swordsmaster who's been here for 10 or 20 years waiting for this flower to bloom and he's not going to let anybody else get it, but his, but his uh, beloved, uh, you know, the Chung, then, you know, it, 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 it just works great in the genre. That's um,
1: true. No <laughs> There's no argument here. I mean, and again, it's one of those things that like, it does work great in the genre. That is something that you would see in a story about in a wuxi story like this one. And it works very well and it's very poetic and romantic. But also, also, if you're a GM and you're strapped for ideas, like you could just put a powerful guy guarding a flower in a hex. If you're like, oh, they yeah. went somewhere. Oh, no, well, totally. Go.
0: That's that's what I'm saying. I guess so I guess I guess where, where I'm coming at it from is I'm thinking of it in terms of a wusha game. Like that, yeah. it, it's it fits. It totally fits. But like in 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 D and D, it makes sense too because you know. And and in most role playing games, because you have you know in in Wuxia, the big thing that makes characters what they are is the fact that they're martial heroes and they have you know he's powerful enough that nobody can stop him from watching that flower, but the same thing's true if you're an 18th level wizard, who's gonna who's gonna stop an 18th level wizard except for a 19th level wizard? Do you know what I mean? And so and then so then you'll just have a 19th level wizard sitting there guarding the flower if you want, uh, but it's it's a uh, it, it 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 isn't that ridiculous that. Uh, that something that valuable would be guarded by a really cool, interesting adversary who might've set up shop there. Um, and, and I, I think, I think it totally works in a gaming context.
1: It does. And like, it pays a dividend in a lot of ways because you don't, you don't necessarily have, like you don't need the flower and you just happen upon that guy. Well, all of a sudden you've got this other thing you can do. You've got like this interesting roleplay element where you can hear the guy's story or get training from that guy or get knowledge from him or just be his pal. You know, all the, all this stuff that doesn't have to manifest in role initiative. Yeah. You know, it can. That's totally on the table. But like structurally, there are so many branches from that one little seed of potential. It's one of the things I like about making content like that and assuming it's part of like an ongoing living world is that you get all of that. You don't have to think about it in a linear way like hey they're gonna go here find this guy and have a fight you didn't even know they were gonna go there even from the initial thing they went where they wanted to go and this happened to be in the direction they were traveling oh they made a spot check you see this guy 100 yards away on the snow-capped peaks like legit there's a dude standing there guarding a beautiful looking flower that's yet to bloom that's some stuff that will draw a player to being like wait what we're in the middle of a wasteland on the top of a mountain who is this guy Immediate dividend paid there. Even yeah. if they don't fight him, even if it doesn't do what something that you would have structured it to do, question like doing the quotation marks in the area, there's still something rich and interesting there they can now interact with. And uh, I, I've been, i been... I, last week, I had a real big row with a bunch of people about uh, a linear game structure versus a more open game structure, like a Hexcrawl structure. And that was a point that I made right there. That was my big defining point, was that, look... There, there's really two ways to look at it. And their way, was the other side of the argument's way was broadly, oh, I know what I want to happen dramatically, and so I make certain that that happens. And my counterpoint was, well, if you don't know what you want to happen dramatically, something much more interesting will happen dramatically, naturally, through the playing of the game. I sound by that.
0: No, I think that's true. So, So what you're talking about is like, a, a A GM might see this movie and say, "Okay, I want to bring this movie to life, and I'm going to lay out all the things that will need to happen over the course of the campaign yeah,
1: in order, think about order as events that must transpire I, in a linear fashion. But which means the second that the, the players don't do any of those things the way they want them to, Mitchell falls apart. Well,
0: and also the thing I mean, I, I think I think I think again I'm not I'm not too hung up on different play styles and stuff like that, but but I would prefer to do it the way you're talking about it because my feeling is to to structure it in a linear way sort of misses the point of what the movie's even trying to do in the first place cuz the movie isn't trying to show you this prepared structure that you recognize as a prepared structure it's trying to show you something that feels like it's playing out naturally as a result of the character's decisions and 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 that it and that it produces this thing that in hindsight is gorgeous is 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 a, is is the bonus but but when you're watching it you're supposed to believe that that uh that that when Leslie Chung is making the decision that he's making that ultimately leads to uh to her becoming the bride with white hair that he's that he's got an actual fork in the road where he can choose between you know option a and option b or maybe even more than one option or more than two options um and so I don't know i I think that I think that you know. You could see this movie and say, oh, this is an example of a great linear structure. Or you could say, this is a great example of what happens when you have great chemistry between characters and power groups in a setting. And every once in a while, this is the result. This is this is what it will produce. Um, you know, I, as a GM, I find it more interesting to, to not know what the outcome is going to be. Because I feel like if I have an outcome and I'm looking toward it, that that... I miss all of the opportunities that, the, that, that are presented to me between then and now. Uh, True.
1: If, you, if your goal as the person who has made the scenario is to create the bride with white hair, then the choice of the player, whoever is playing uh, Yi Hung, doesn't matter. They yeah. don't actually get to make the choice that leads to the creation of the bride with white hair. The bride with white hair is not a consequence of a poor choice they made. It's just something that was going to happen no matter what they said. And at that point, you're basically structuring it like a pre-programmed video game, which why would you limit yourself like that? You're a human being with an imagination and versatility. You don't have to act like a computer program with these scenarios.
0: What I would say is is, is if you what you want to do is you want to create a world where the bride with white hair can emerge naturally yes. um, or where she might exist as a pre-existing character who's in the background somewhere. Um, but you don't want to force it. Like I had a game the other day, which is, is a, it was something I was play testing, so it's still fairly you know early stages of development. But, oh no, it was, it's it's not secret at this point, but it's just oh. kind of um, it's still early stage. But the the players were uh, they had a mission that they were going to go on, um, and and they and they sort of did, but then they ended up just hanging out in the village that they were in, and and getting into a conflict with the with the woman who was like the headman of the village, and. And I didn't really know where it was going to go. It was just sort of like, okay, they're kind of here. Eventually, uh, the conflict reaches ahead and one of the player characters replaces her as they had been. And he gets her her brother executed for things that he had done wrong to the village and the party and gets her branded for all the corruption and uh, treacherous activity that she was involved in, largely through her brother and, and exiled from the community. And so this presented me with a great opportunity to, to have her go on a revenge path uh down the road um it wasn't it was you know if i if i had started that session saying i need to make this session the bride with white hair it wouldn't have it wouldn't have emerged uh naturally on its own but because i was just sort of letting things kind of brew and it, you know it didn't become the bride with white hair it became more like the movie killer snakes but it was still you know it, it was it, it became something that felt like a uh uh um it, it, the dramatic payoff was very strong when it when it actually uh, when it actually emerged and so uh and and I, and I think I think I think a good trait for the GM to have is kind of like honesty to themselves and to the players but like not not like honesty like okay, I'm gonna tell you everything about my notes but to, to
1: it's okay to have mystery without having deception. Yeah,
0: yeah. I I think what you don't want to do is you don't want to use underhanded means behind the GM screen to make the Bride with White Hair play out like the Bride with White Hair. Um, Because again, the thing that makes the Bride with White Hair so powerful is the fact that it hinges on crucial decisions that the characters make. And if the player's decisions don't really matter because the Bride with White Hair is going to happen either way... Yeah, all of that evaporates. Yeah. Um, so what was cool about this game was decisions that the player characters made themselves that I didn't steer them towards uh, resulted in something akin to The Bride with White Hair You know, not the same, it wasn't a love story it was more just sort of a basic revenge plot with some supernatural snakes thrown in but it it, it, the the dramatic payoff was strong because it came from decisions the players had made and And also, we didn't know how it was gonna end. I didn't know if it was gonna end in total slaughter of the players or if it was gonna end in their their success. And it actually ended up resulting in because of the way that the dice rolled, they were bitten by a couple of cobras, but they didn't end up dying they uh they ended up surviving, and so the outcome was kind of this glorious uh you know Actual escape triumph. yeah they, they well they so the way that the the session ended was they found the woman the woman had been sending cobras their way uh you know again in the style of the movie killer snakes she had had these cobras that she was uh uh using to to help her achieve her ambitions and she was literally sitting in this giant pit of snakes when they came up on her and the and the snakes just swarmed out and started attacking them um and this is a group that they had just had a total party kill the week before so we, we were assuming oh maybe that'll happen again um and it turned out that the dice worked in their favor, and that they were able to cure themselves of the uh, of the cobra venom, and and uh, and succeed. But but my point is, it's kind of to what you were saying is you know, when you don't know the outcome, it's better. As a you know, as a GM and as a player.
1: Oh yeah, I mean that allows you as the GM to be surprised, which is a wonderful and novel feeling. Uh, but I mean, and, and the basic point of that I was trying to make was that. I mean, sure, you got the, the killer snakes instead of the bride with white hair, but players will always want killer snakes that they chose over the bride with white hair that they wouldn't have. Yeah, you know?
0: yeah, I agree. That's definitely a good point. Like, like, it, it, I mean, it might be really cool. Like, like, if you, you know, and I guess what we're kind of talking about is railroading here. We're talking about, you know, yeah. the GM is going to make the bride with white hair happen regardless. And that that's that's really the crux of the problem. And I think that can emerge from having a linear approach, but it can also just emerge because the GM is just at crucial junctures, you know, stamping down.
1: A point that was brought up in that, in that particular thread was that none of the GMs that did that railroading technique did it deceptively. And I thought that was really honest of them. They and their players were both very much on the same page about, okay, we know what we want to happen. And the rules, if the rules don't make that happen, we will make that happen. And, I want them to be clear that I, I never really considered a railroad that was something that you would want to go on. But in reality, in our real world, people well, do use railroads. People like it. I mean, so.
0: I, th- this is one of my again. Uh, well, I, I, you go on because I'm interrupting you constantly, so you should continue with your thought.
1: <laughs> no, like you've got great points. I don't mind being interrupted by a good point. Uh, the the point that that was unique in this conversation, something that I learned in it, was that like th- there is there are bad and good railroads if you're yeah. lying to your players and there's a railroad i think that's a universally accepted bad mm-hmm. if you guys both really want to play that way you, you've got like something that you want to go towards i want to say that that's a taste thing that i don't i don't agree with that taste i don't share that taste but i don't want to call it bad uh, so there we really need to have a, a a line like a conversational nuance between a bad railroad and a good one and i don't know like it's, is there well, like, I, think,
0: I think so here's what i would say because i I, I got very frustrated. Again, I've said this a bunch of times in the podcast, but my frustration w- with the way that people were playing games in the early 2000s was that everybody seemed to want a railroad. And that's fine if that's what you want, but I didn't want that. I really got tired of a style of play that felt linear and railroaded to me. And I think I think a good railroad is when everybody knows that's what they want and they're all happy to do it. You know, that's fine. The problem, I think, emerges when... Not everybody wants it, or not everybody realizes that's what's going on. And, and then it's like, a, you know, slowly over time, it dawns on you, hey, my decisions don't matter, or hey, yeah, you know.
1: It, that, it eats the joy of the yeah. game, you and, know.
0: And I was coming at it more from the GM side. I just don't like, I don't like feeling like all I'm doing is handing you uh, something that's been prepared in advance. Do you know what I mean? To me, it feels like yeah. a prepared speech. I kind of want a conversation when I'm gaming. I want it to be this dynamic thing where, you know, I don't know how it's gonna end. I don't it might it might end horribly. I don't know. I, I kinda like the 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 looming possibilities of gaming. That's what that's what really appeals to me. And so I don't know, I I guess I guess I guess uh I'm I'm just I'm just not a fan of, of that of that sort of this is what the adventure is gonna go towards and we're all kind of in agreement about it. And that you know again, if that's what everybody signed up for more power to them I just guess
1: uh, I, I yeah, just... I'm with you I don't share that taste I biggest part of the element that I like is I'm like Charlie the dog in all dogs go to heaven I want to be surprised yeah I don't want to see it coming you know if like, another example of a thing that happened last week in my uh uh I'm, I'm playing uh Zach Smith's Red and Pleasant land right now and they ...grabbed a Vorpal Sword from some elves, like the Vorpal Sword, and they, they took it out into uh, the Tolji Woods, and sure enough, I rolled that 12, and the Jabberwock showed up. The Jabberwock's like a 15th level dragon, so I have a first level party with the Vorpal Sword, destined to kill the thing that I randomly rolled as an encounter. Mm-hmm. Uh, this happened in a game, and it was great, because like you couldn't have plotted that more tightly... <laughs> It almost seemed cartoonish the way it happened, yeah. but it's a genuine result in the mechanics of the game. And it drove some really intense gameplay. So, uh, by the way, they did not kill it. They did damage it, which is something no one's ever done in, their, uh, in, in Void Vosia. Uh, but unfortunately, the guy who had the Vorpal Sword got his spine broken, and the sword fell down a murder hole. So, uh, yeah, that... Uh, well, I mean, he got better. We had, thankfully, there were some clerics in a nearby ore block, which... Okay, maybe I'm... This is kind of crazy stuff. Uh, Zach makes some really good game stuff, and if you don't feel like prepping anything, it's really great game stuff. I didn't prep any of this, and yeah, it was no. all just a natural result of totally unscripted. Let's see what the counter charts say. Gaming, it's fantastic.
0: No, I mean again, it's, uh I mean, I'm sure everybody listening knows knows about that book, but it, it's it's. it's um, I, I've I've not I've not actually had a chance to play it, but I have the book and. Uh,
1: Really? Yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's a good. Just as a read, it's pretty good. Yeah. But it's a.
0: It's a, it, Well, I, I. think with. Um, I think with. With. Uh, linear versus. Um, uh, I don't know what you call. Put you
1: off your game with the whole Jabberwock thing. So. No, 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 no,
0: no, no. I'm just. I'm just. Uh, we, we've been talking for an hour and twenty five minutes. So I'm. Uh, I'm. I'm getting to the end of my. Uh, of my ability to converse here. But. Uh, <laughs> but I think that. Uh,
1: there's a script, Brendan.
0: Huh? Yeah, I know. See, I, I guess I guess my whole argument about railroads is undermined <laughs> by my by my inability to be spontaneous in this moment. Um, so you know, but again, we do we do this the verite style, so we're going to have to keep it in. Um, but but yeah, no. But but I do I do think that uh, that having things like encounter tables and things like like you know just stuff that you know those kinds of things that shake it up to me is again, I, I like just some background here. I remember there was a period in the, maybe in the nineties, maybe the early two thousands where where encounter tables were co- sort of considered passe. Um, and maybe because we use them too much. Um, but, but again, I, I think, I think one of the things that we do in gaming all the time is we throw the baby out with the bathwater and we move from one trend to another and, that's always the thing that I'm afraid of is because because encounter tables are so useful and they're so there there really are a great way to um, to liven up a game and to reduce the amount of prep that you need to do for a session um, and and then also the're great the, the the real the thing I like about encounter tables and is particularly ones that are well done like I mean Zach Smith's encounter tables are particularly well done um, is that they uh, they, they, they force me outside of my comfort zone as a GM so that I'm not just, you know, if I had my way in my wuxia campaigns, you know, you'd be fighting the same reckless swordsman and devil grandma every five minutes. Do you know what I mean? That's just sort of how I, that's what I would gravitate towards. And an encounter table gets yeah. me out of that pattern. It, it just <laughs> breaks that, it up.
1: That's an excellent point because you're right. I do that same thing. I've got my favorite monsters and my favorite little things that I role play and I put them in every bloody game and an encounter table is a great way of breaking out of your comfort zone and having something unusual happen. So yes, thank you, encounter tables. You, you well, save us again.
0: And just to bring it back to the bride with white hair, the way that like encounter tables can actually connect to what we're talking about here is you have a martial world populated by sex and people and you know political organizations, and you could easily you could easily see the way that the bride with white hair plays out as being a product of encounters that were rolled, that brought certain characters and personalities from different sex and sex themselves into this, into, into the fray. Do you know what I mean? And so, mm-hmm. and so the G the GM's job when, you know, when you're, when, when, for example, if you, if you're, if you're, if you're, if the players are passing through a certain area and you, and you have a t- encounter table that has martial sects on it, and it's like so. On some of my tables, I'll have things like disciples from, you know, either the nearest sect headquarters, or I'll have like a specific sect named in the encounter entry, or like a specific character if it's like a table two or three. Um, the, the role of the GM is to figure out why that person is even there in the first place. Do you know what I mean? And and that's. Again, you can have additional tables to help you break certain patterns or you can go with whatever is most interesting and, you know, uh, and and, you know, just feels right for the moment.
1: Uh, yeah, but- and that, that's a good point about them is that encounter tables in a lot of ways are able to do something that is almost inconceivably complex, which is they create an entire world of these characters and factions in motion beyond the gm's ability to plot them like far beyond because you're right why why the heck is the bride with white hair in this this soup kitchen that we all randomly went into yeah it's a good question but a little bit of of mental elbow grease a little bit of imagination and you as the gm can can kind of like accrete this entire sequence of events backwards and forwards in time from that result in the re in the reaction in in the chart that's amazing you know the the fact that you can can use that as a seed to create a world in motion that way just throw a few charts and a couple of dice is unbelievable rules technology there's no reason to ever throw that away
0: and and you also you don't necessarily need encounter tables to do that you can i mean if you have a bunch of sects and organi- if you know if if you've created a world that's rich enough you will have sects like the evil cult and wudang and the you know the 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 eight clans and all that you'll you'll have all these you know and the general Who's you know uh, who's who you know and 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 the and the, the Ming and the Rising Qing you'll ha- you'll have you'll have all this stuff that will be kind of like a an active chemical when it comes into play and depending on how the players react to it it might go in different directions but but they but all of these elements they all have their own motives and goals that you're aware of that will help you sort of see where 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 the conflicts are going to be going and, and, and how that might affect the players and how that might lure them into some
1: kind of adventure. Um, you know, Because I, I, yeah. characters like that and fashions like that have their own momentum and the players have this unique ability to knock it wildly off course with their crazy antics. Yeah. It's one of the things you love about role-playing, you know?
0: And so it's kind of like a fly-by... Like, I, my favorite style of playing... I I like to prepare and do things like that but I I like to really sort of sit down and not like my favorite sessions are the ones where I have no idea what's going to happen that session I sit (laughs) down and I really don't have any idea And, and the players just go do something and then that leads to another thing and then eventually before I know it there's all this crazy stuff happening that's kind of my preferred approach but I like it to be I like to apply the best logic I can to it. I like to have good tools to draw on when I'm doing it. You know, like so you know, various tables are always handy. Um, yeah. And and or, so uh,
1: something like this, you want to have a whole walled village with filled with factions that have uh, ideas and motivations of your of their own. The, and you're you're right. You don't want gobbledygook. It shouldn't just be oh, and now there's a goblin there for some reason. This all has to be contextual, or else it would be gobbledygook. It has to make sense in the context of what you're doing.
0: Well, and I, th- I think I think that that's what makes. but again, I think I think I think even with the most bare bones encounter table, you can do that. One of the you, you know the, the the adventure Ravenloft, if I remember Tracy Hickman said that the that uh, the the genesis for that was because you know there was an encounter table or a dungeon table or something. I think it was a dungeon making table where he rolled a vampire and he was like "Well, what is a vampire even doing in this dungeon and he decided to make an adventure that sort of explained why a vampire would be in, in the dungeon like that uh, I, I might have the story wrong cause it's been a while since I've read the account but that
1: is awesome if true <laughs> yeah but
0: that's but that's but I mean that's I mean that shows you how awesome even like the most basic table can be if, if you just apply the right amount of imagination to it and that's the element that's required is you have to you have to be able to take those tools and use them in an imaginative way that produces something, ideally that that you know again you, you're not you're you're never trying to replicate any one thing but if you can pull off something that feels like the bride with white hair on the fly that's that's amazing and and I think I think the way to use movies and books and things like that isn't to say okay I've got this story of the bride with white hair uh, and I need to apply it in a game but they are things you can draw on occasionally. You can say, ah, oh, this woman that's going through this thing right now, this NPC, she reminds me a little bit of the bride with white hair. Um, maybe she's going to go in that direction. Uh, you know what I mean? Like that's, that's where these things can be functionally useful. I think,
1: um, that, that and like, there's, especially in a movie like the bride with white hair, uh, but really almost anything we've watched on this show, you can take any one little element from it. Uh, so a sound a scene a weapon an idea even like the visual descriptions of some of the action and you can just sprinkle that however you want to at any point into your games and get a completely unique effect from that inspiration so it's not like you have to port the whole thing in one solid chunk you have to put the entire plot arc of the bride with white hair to get something out of the bride with white hair Maybe you just think of a mechanic where, if someone's in an extreme of emotions, they they can transform, yep, yeah, no, yeah great... but... one mechanic from the whole movie would still transform your game and be awesome, yeah,
0: no, I agree. and I, and I, but I also think that it's important to remember that that
1: you know the
0: these can be handy like vocabulary bits to draw on during, oh the yeah, day. true. um but be yeah, emotional. no that that's. If you can get one mechanic out of it, I I, I don't know how many. I, I definitely got more than one out of this movie in Ogre Gate I got the the hair the hair technique, the whipping strands, I think it was called. And uh, there was a character that was loosely inspired by The Bride of White Hair, um, and uh, quite a few other elements probably. I can't think off the top of my head, but I know. But uh, I mean, you, you, you know, one wuxia movie should probably be able to give you about twenty ideas mechanically. I think at the so very least.
1: Um, yeah. Pro- That's probably even lowballing it, frankly, yeah. just because of how much cool stuff is in this movie. Um, and, like, it's so interesting to me because I came into the, the Wuxia genre originally coming through from Legends of the Wulin, which is another game that is a, an entire game system with totally different ideas than Wandering Heroes of Ogre Gate that are exactly as valid and inspired by the exact same sources. And it's amazing how much inspiration is in this in, in this genre. Well, so. yeah
0: one of the things I really like watching is how different like well, like Legends of the wounds obviously that's a very significant game because that comes up in every conversation about Wuxia RPG I ever see um, one of the cool things is how different everybody's take is on it that's why I'm always intrigued when I see a new Wuxia RPG coming out is you know this person's focusing on this element that like it, it really it really creates a different end result um, and 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 again, I, I my feeling on the way like my, my experience with people who buy and play Wuxia RPGs is they generally don't have a very rarely will you meet somebody who says this is my go to Wusha game. They'll usually use as they'll, they'll they'll buy as many as they can and then kind of hack them into whatever system they prefer, you know. And yeah, that, that <laughs> I I think that's that's you know that's great. That's fine. Um, uh, and also you know they might they also like if you. It, if this was my case, especially when I first was trying to run Wuxia campaigns is you were just desperate for like resources of any kind on the topic. Do you know what I mean? It's not like a, now we have the internet and it's a lot easier, but there wasn't like a whole lot to really clarify things for you back when I was, you know, first interested in running these kinds of games. And, and so having different people's, uh, Game books on it was, was useful just for getting different points of view and even just for being exposed to different movies and stuff. Do you know what I mean? I, I still, I got, um, where is it? Hopefully you can still hear me. I have the, uh, the original Hong Kong action theater role playing game here, uh, which, which isn't Wuxia necessarily, but can include Wuxia. It's much more broad than that. It's a game that, that really uh, um, uh, is meant to emulate like 80s and 90s uh, Hong Kong action movies. Uh, but, but, but a lot of, a lot of, uh, a lot of the films that I ended up, um, that, that I ended up watching were a result, result of this move, this book. This, this book is, 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 uh, is where I first learned about The Bride with White Hair. And then when I saw The Bride with White Hair at my local, uh, what was the name of the video store? The big one. A blockbuster? Blockbuster, thank you. When I saw it at my local Blockbuster, I, uh... I, I picked it up immediately. I probably wouldn't have picked up a movie called The Bride with White Hair if I hadn't seen it in this game. Um, yeah.
1: the, the the movie titles are definitely misleading in a lot of cases, or at least not appealing, really. It's like, Bride with White Hair? sounds like a romance, and if you see erotic thriller on it, you're like, I don't want to. No, <laughs> you it, know, did everything that could have turned me off of watching the movie, which is a shame, because the movie's freaking amazing.
0: And, and, I, and I will just say, I'm going to run a uh, Hong Kong action theater uh, session at some point in the near future. It's a it, 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 it's two editions. There's first edition which uh, with which uh, Gareth Skarka did, and there's the the second edition which does like the tri stat system. It's a little bit different. They're both good games. I I I, I uh, think that the uh, the movie entries in the first game are a really valuable resource. Just just stuff for that alone. Like even if you're not have no intention of playing this game uh the the movie resources in there because he doesn 't just list the ga- the movies he describes each movie you know what i mean it 's like a paragraph for each film and and it's it, again this 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 was my go to source for for when I was trying to find good movies, and it really paid off well i it did not mislead me um I know we're way off topic because we're going on an hour and four minutes. So, we're, but,
1: we're talking about the the way that movies intersect with role-playing games, and that's basically the reason we have this podcast. Yeah. This is on topic because like, I'll say something nice about Exalted uncharacteristically for me. Uh, that's one of the things I loved about it is that in every edition of Exalted that I that I own – uh, which I think is all of them at this point. They have a nice little bibliography of the things that inspired it, and yeah. they don't just give you the names. they tell you something about it. Yeah. which gives you reason to go out and investigate this stuff and broaden your horizons.
0: no, right. it's 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 really useful. That's why, like in the uh, a lot of people kind of probably thought I went too far with the amount of movies that I listed in Gate. but the reason that i li- I tried to list every movie that I thought had any kind of influence on the game and Ooh, the re- like. Old. Well, but but I also knew I wasn't going to be able to match Hong Kong action theater with its breakdown of the movie. So I didn't even try. I just did a list. Um but but yeah, I think uh I think, you know, the the, the, the especially for genres like this, you know, the 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 rule books, they're also resources that are that are useful in other ways. Again, another movie I probably wouldn't have um I wouldn't have heard of except for that. I, th- I think was either One-Armed Boxer or One-Armed Swordsman. One of those two movies, I remember that was where i first heard about it and uh and it, you know it's, it's just you know it it, it just kind of goes to show how uh how how influential uh you know a
1: game book can be on on uh, on people but um, well, beyond being a game book it's clearly kind of like a cultural index of something you know and it's, it's the same way with Legends of the Woolen, where if you look into the, the sources at the end of that book, where they're talking about the source of inspiration, they don't just give you just names. They they give you a direction for expanding your understanding of this genre. It's wonderful.
0: Well, and I think that's, again, that's why whenever people ask me about Wuxia, and I I'm probably sound like a broken record, but like <laughs> if you're trying to run a Wuxia campaign, watch Wuxia, read Wuxia. You know, at least watch it. Watch Wuxia, because the more you watch, the more you'll realize like the variety that exists within the genre, and the yeah. less the less it's gonna feel like okay. Here's sort of like a you know not China, not not Russia campaign. You know, like it's it's uh it's ve- it's a very easy genre to reduce to like two dimensions on accident, and
1: yeah, and you don't want to reduce it because yeah. there there's so much depth to it, and there's so many vital ways you can explore it uh i I absolutely agree i i I find it frustrating whenever someone says oh that's not wuxia as though you can call something not wuxia that has so many elements from wuxia or that that does wuxia in a different way and it's like guy you're not the authority on it okay
0: well, we could. We we. Pro- it's some. I know I've had some discussions like this in the past, but like it's one of oh, those yes. weird things where it's a balance because on the one hand you want to define what Wuxia means, but on the other hand you don't want to kill Wuxia in the process. Do you know what mm-hmm. I mean? And so I think that that's the. Um, and I think that applies to any genre. Like a genre is a thing that's definable. Like it's something that like, you know, noir is noir. You know, noir is not. Um, uh, you know, SpongeBob SquarePants. You know, there's there's yeah. nothing noir unless I'm terribly disinformed. No,
1: there's misinformed. an episode of SpongeBob that is very noir, but okay, so you understand they're importing elements of something that is alien to them to make it noir. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, it, it and they are, they I don't but, know if they're definable in concrete terms. It's one of those kind of like flavor things where it's like uh, an example is is food. I can make Cajun dishes, and I know when something isn't Cajun, but it's yeah. like it. And like, well, that's close, but you didn't yeah. quite get it right.
0: No, I'm. I'm, I'm always hesitant to lay down the lines because sometimes you find that that was a line that you shouldn't have laid down, even though it seemed like a good idea at the time. But what yes, I would say exactly. is, I think, it's I think, <laughs> I think genres have boundaries, but they're porous. And Ooh, if they're uh, not, yeah. if they're not porous, then. That's what kills them. Like a genre that you know, like eventually. I mean, every genre dies eventually. It sort of you know gets t- you know. It's, it's it's you know it either needs to lay to rest so that people can pick it up years later and look at it with renewed eyes, or it just kind of its time passes. Um, but I think the easiest way to, to to make that happen is to just say this genre can only do two things, and if it does anything else, it's not in the genre. And if it isn't doing those two things, then you know it's 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 bad. I, th- I think I think that you have to allow for other elements in in order to breathe life into it that's why I think gulong is so great because gulong is clearly importing all these other things into wuxia but he's still wuxia he still feels like wuxia but he's getting all these other flavors in there that make it feel so exciting um, so so yeah and I mean we've kind of run the gamut here and it's getting on uh, an hour and 45 minutes be on a little bit so so, so we, will, we will head out um and i'm going to be on again later today with an interview with uh, jim pinto who has a new kickstarter up and also tomorrow we're going to be on i don't even remember what movie we we're talking about tomorrow it's definitely going to be a karaoke movie oh it's going to be uh the new version of a chinese ghost story from like 2011 or something i think was the year it came out uh and it stars the woman who uh, is from the movie The Four that I talked about, but also is going to be playing uh, Mulan in the upcoming Disney adaptation. And uh, it's Hui uh, uh, plays the, the, the villain in the movie. She plays uh, the Tree Demon of the, of the Chinese ghost story. Uh, so uh, So yeah, so we will, uh, we will let you go, and we will talk to you later.